This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons by Rev. Adam Moline of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our text today is the gospel lesson. You may be seated. Dear friends in Christ, we are in the midst of the season of Epiphany. Now the word epiphany means to reveal or to shine light upon something. And so it is that in the season of epiphany, God is brought to light through the person and work of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And in today's gospel lesson, that's exactly what is happening. God is being revealed through Jesus Christ and also through God's good gift of marriage. Now, God has always loved marriage. He invented it, in fact. He designed it and blessed it with the first marriage, the first wedding that took place in the Garden of Eden where one man, Adam, was united to one woman, Eve, and the two of them became one flesh. After God married Adam and Eve, he looked at all of his creation, including marriage, and he said, it is very good. That means marriage is very good. And the reason that marriage is very good is Yes, God said it, but also because marriage reflects God. The relationship between husband and wife reflects the relationship between Jesus and the church. Jesus is the husband, the groom. He's the one who sacrifices himself for the church, who loves it and washes over all of its sins. And the church, well, submits to Christ, receives the gifts Jesus gives. God is the groom in Jesus. The church is his bride. This is even the picture we see in the book of Revelation. Heaven as seen as the bride of Christ coming down. Prepared to be with its groom. The book of Hebrews says marriage is to be held in honor by all and the marriage bed kept pure. St. Paul says in the epistle that we almost heard that husbands are to sacrifice themselves for their wives and wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are to cover over sin, to wash over them so that their bride may be pure and beautiful and beloved. This relationship between husbands and wives, Paul says, is not about husbands and wives at all. It's about Jesus and the church. And it's with this background then that we come to our gospel lesson for today. It is this institution of marriage that Christ is blessing, both with his presence at the wedding in Cana, as well as his blessing of that marriage with his first miracle. 
A husband and a wife, a groom and a bride are preparing to be united as that one flesh. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the ceremony and to the reception. Now, you've been to weddings before. They are joyous, happy occasions. And this is no different. The entire town has gathered together to celebrate this good gift of God. The town and the people are glad for this couple. They are glad for the potential children their relationship will bring into their community. They are excited for the delight that husband and wife will find in one another. They're excited for the lifelong love that will slowly build through both good times and bad times. They are glad for the wisdom that this couple will be able to pass on to their own children and grandchildren when they get married. They're excited for the distribution of God's good gifts in this world. And so, everyone's together, feasting, celebrating, enjoying. But something disrupts that joy. The wine is gone. Wine, being gone, may seem fairly trivial, right? But it was a big part of the celebration, much as it is today. No, it's not that people were getting drunk. That is sinful. But the people weren't pietists either, as if alcohol in itself was sinful. In our other lessons for today, we hear about how God will establish vineyards that people may drink and be glad. But drunkenness is still sin. And having wine run out at a wedding reception definitely would put a damper on the beginning of a new marriage. Perhaps it would be seen as a sign that this marriage was beginning on a bad foot. Perhaps it shows that this couple is doomed. And so it is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, brings the problem before him. Why Jesus? Well, it's appropriate for Mary to talk to Jesus about the problem. After all, Mary did know who her son was. The angel had told her, he will be the son of God. And so when Mary brings the problem to Jesus, she's merely speaking to God. And so she comes to Jesus and says, they have no wine. But Jesus' response always catches us off guard. He says, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. 
No matter how you translate those lines in the Greek, it always seems a little bit rude to us. But it's not. Jesus is speaking in an endearing way to his mother, respectfully and kindly. And he is also teaching her, as he's also teaching us, what's important about what's happening. It is as if Jesus is saying, Hey, Mom, is this our problem? Because my time isn't here yet. Jesus is merely a guest. He's been invited to be at this wedding, but it's not his wedding. So what should he do? Should he help? Or should he let things be? When you speak to God, does he help? Or does he let things be? God loves marriage. God celebrates marriage. And so, Jesus helps in this situation. He shows that he is God. He manifests his divine nature in this miracle. Jesus acts. He has six stone water jugs, about 120 gallons worth of volume, filled with water. And using his divine power, he changes the water into wine. And when he does so, the joy and blessing of that particular marriage is returned. The party can continue. God's mercy is shown. Jesus' divinity is made manifest, epiphanied for all of us to see. It is truly a great miracle. But Jesus' hour still hasn't come, even as he blesses this marriage. His time isn't there yet. What time? What hour is Jesus speaking about? Well, he's at a wedding. He's saying, this isn't my wedding. And it isn't, is it? There is no bride for Jesus yet. There is no consummation of his wedding yet. There is no husbandly sacrifice yet. It isn't Jesus' hour yet. Sure, they may be dating, I suppose, but it's not Christ's hour yet. But the hour is coming. The hour when Christ's bride, the church, will be united with him forever and ever. Christ will meet his bride, the church, over and over again through John's gospel, through the other gospels in his earthly ministry. And every time Jesus runs into her, he finds his bride sinful and broken, weighed down with the burdens of this fallen, difficult 
sinful world. And yet, as husbands do their wives, Jesus loves the church. Jesus sees that his bride, the church, like the Samaritan woman that he'll meet at the well, has committed adultery against him, abandoning him and his word, following after false gods and idols, loving the things of this world more than Christ. But Jesus, as a good husband does, forgives her and sacrifices himself to cover her guilt and shame. Jesus, as he meets his bride, the church, finds her hungry and starving in this broken world. And he feeds her with bread from heaven. He finds her polluted with the grime and grease of this sinful world and washes her in living water and the word. He clothes her with pure, clean, white garments, just as a bride is supposed to wear on her wedding day. Jesus loves his bride, the church. Jesus loves you. And the hour is coming for the consummation of the wedding. When Christ will give his life for the bride, dying for her, nailed to a cross, dying for you, for your sin, for your guilt. For the pollution of your bodies, for what you have done wrong, for your neglecting of his word, for your despising your marriage, which reflects his relationship with you, for loathing the spouse that you have, for all of these sins and more, Jesus dies. And in his death, you are made well, healed, purified, rescued, washed, delivered from sin, death, and the devil, granted eternal life forever. And not alone forever, for your bridegroom Christ has raised from the dead to live with you, world without end. Jesus fulfilled what all husbands are supposed to do. He fulfilled it for you, sacrificing himself that you might be saved. And that means that you're now free. Free to fulfill your side of this arrangement. Free to live a life in faithful submission to Christ. 
That means doing what he asks you to do in his word. That means fearing, loving, and trusting in him above all other things. That means loving your neighbor as you love yourself. To use the things he's given you, not just to take care of you, but to take care of the people around you. That means gladly hearing his word, looking forward to being where his word is preached and proclaimed and sung. And that means letting your earthly marriage reflect his marriage, the marriage of Christ to the church. You're free. Free to live like Christians live. When we think about it that way, I know at first it seems kind of boring and overwhelming, right? But remember, Christ loves marriage and blesses marriage and fills marriage with joy. Just as he restored the wine at that wedding service, so too does he fill your life with joy, giving you those little moments of happiness and peace and contentment, providing for you even in your darkest hours, bringing you back to the waters of baptism to wash your sins away anew, feeding you with a truly joyful wine, his blood in, with, and under that wine for forgiveness of your sins. He brings you back week after week here to the great marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end, that you can keep on having that true joy that the forgiveness of sins in Jesus brings you. We do have joy here. We're glad for God's love for us. We're glad that he has united himself to us. We rejoice that he is our faithful husband who will provide for us world without end. We rejoice that he's revealed himself to us through the gifts distributed here and even in our day-to-day lives in the gift of marriage. Truly, he has manifested himself to you and me. In the name of Jesus, amen. This has been With Intrepid Hearts Sermons by Pastor Adam Moline. The words, With Intrepid Hearts, come from the conclusion to the Book of Concord where it is written, By God's grace, with intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession and give an account of it. We will not speak or write anything contrary to this confession, either publicly or privately. By the strength of God's grace, we intend to abide by it.